I was comparing myself to people that have been in the industry for 15 or 20 years, and I'm trying to reach that level. And so that's how I hit the burnout stage. And so I guess my, my piece of advice would be just, you know, take your time. Like it's a, it's a journey. It's, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's okay for it to take time and it, and it will, everybody's career takes time. You're listening to episode 115 of the Perspective Podcast, and I'm your host, Scotty Russell of Perspective Collective. This show is fuel for your mind and creative grind. Each week, my guests and I provide the tools for thinking bigger, overcoming adversity, and making an impact with your work, especially if you're building this outside your day job, like I know a majority of you are, as well as me. At the end of each episode, I share a listener of the week, so stick around to figure out how you can get a shout out on a future episode in the show notes, as well as in the newsletter. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Crop Conference. Crop is a two-day celebration of creativity, community, and inspiration. They bring in the world's top creative talent like past guests Benny Gold, Young Jerks, and the Hoodspa Design Duo. Their upcoming April 18th and 19th lineup in Baton Rouge, Louisiana is no exception. Stick around for a killer promo code and in the meantime, check out their Instagram at CropCons or CropCons.com for the full lineup. Also, I need to give a quick shout out to Iron Bean Coffee Company for supporting all of February's episodes via their Patreon pledges over at patreon.com slash perspective podcast. Fred and Chanel roast and sell their own kick-ass coffee along with hand-throw mugs and merch over at ironbeancoffee.com. And I should let you know, we have a mug collab design coming your way in April, so stay tuned. It's going to be dope, and it's going to sell out like all the past mugs I've been doing are, so I'm hyped about this one. Thank you so much for your support, guys. Go check them out. Let's start this off by me asking you a a couple questions, all right? I really want you to think and ask yourself these. What are the answers to these? Why do we compare ourselves to others? Why do we feel the need to burn the midnight oil only to push ourselves to burnout? Why are we so impatient that we put so much pressure on ourselves to have it figured out overnight? As my longtime friend Theodore Roosevelt said, but I prefer to call him Teddy, All right, that's my boy, Teddy. Comparison is the thief of joy. It truly is. For me, comparison made me feel like I had to grind 10 times harder to catch up with people I thought I should be doing just as much as or even more than based on my age. It's affected not only my physical health, my mental health, uh, relationships, and more getting wrapped up in all the shit that I can't control in life. Comparison made me view my creative grind as a sprint, like I'm stuck playing catch-up to everyone else's mustard. Yes, it was a horrible pun, but you get the point I'm trying to drive home. And I'm realizing more and more that we're all on our own separate marathons with our own separate destinations. And I'm learning not a single path is a one-size-fit-all for all of our journeys to mimic. I'm also learning the more and more you focus on your mental health, physical, and even spiritual health, if you're about that, as well as cultivating fruitful relationships, that it's all going to come back into play with our creative pursuits. It's all connected, and you don't have to be plugged in 24-7 grinding all the time to be successful. And let's cue today's guest. He's done work for juggernauts like Target, Netflix, Starbucks, Adobe, and Facebook, to name a few, and... He's only 25 years old. 
And this is why I mentioned it before, because remember, we're all on our own paths now. So tame that comparison after you just heard that. And I'm talking about my brother, Scott Beersack, a.k.a. You Bring Fire on social media. He's a future legend, no doubt, with his style, craft, and creativity. But what I admire the most is his self-awareness and the mental edge he approaches each day with. It's truly inspiring and makes you think of the bigger picture outside of just your work. In today's episode, Scott and I go deep on topics about how his 365 lettering passion project jumpstarted his career, how burnout and rock bottom for him were necessary obstacles that led to positive change, the importance of your mental and physical well-being, the law of attraction and changing the lens in which you see the world through, and not to mention his favorite video games, typefaces, and of course, his favorite pizza. Overall, Scott and I just get stupid deep and have an extremely transparent conversation today about things like pricing and life overall. Scott doesn't hold back, and I think you're really going to appreciate today's episode like I did. You can find the show notes to this episode filled with everything we talk about, as well as a ton of Scott's amazing work over at perspective-collective.com slash 115. Let me know what you think of this episode by taking a screenshot or video of you listening or even working with it in the background. Tag me on Instagram stories so we can connect. I love also seeing your notes, so share those too. As always, keep an open mind and act on anything that inspires you today. Let's go. What's going on, PC family? I'm sitting here with the homie Scott Beersack of You Bring Fire. Welcome to the Perspective Podcast, my dude. What's going on? <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. Yeah. What's what's up with you today? What's the weather like in Arizona? Are you in Phoenix still? I'm in Phoenix still. Right now, it actually is pretty cloudy and overcast, which is very uncommon for Phoenix. Um, but it's been kind of chilly, like a colder year than normal. Normally, it's at least in the 50s or 60s or so and like last week it was the lows in the 30s and i was freezing my butt off and i know everybody on the east coast like 30 degrees is nothing but, i'll take it know, I'll for t- phoenix that's freaking cold man it's like <laughs> five ten degrees here right now in iowa it's oh. a it's a warm five degrees <laughs> oh hell no man that's way too cold way too cold well i've been meaning to get you on this show for a long time now so for those who don't know give us a brief wikipedia page summary about yourself and you're probably tired of doing this, but please just tell people what You Bring Fire even means. Right. Uh, yeah, so I, I like to say that I am an illustrator and a designer because illustration sort of encompasses everything that I do from, uh, of course, lettering, illustration itself, murals, pretty much everything type-related as well as illustration is, is generally what I do for clients. And so I have a broad spectrum of sort of skill sets, but mostly focused within typography. Um, and then as for you bring fire that spawned from a, a band that I used to listen to when I was, I think I was probably in middle school. Um, it's a band called ivory line and they're like, (laughs) it's so funny to say this, but they're, they're like a Christian rock band and I am, uh, not religious whatsoever. But for some reason during middle school, I was really into Christian rock music. You know, I was, I was listening to like Hawk Nelson. It was like Switchfoot uh, or anything? Yeah, Switchfoot for sure. And then Ivory Line was one of my, like my go-to bands. And they have this song that's titled You Bring Fire. And at the time, you know, I was pretty big on, on, uh, on Tumblr when that was still a thing. I'm sure it's still a thing now, but 
I, I think it's slowly dying. I use that as my, my Tumblr username because the, the song itself from Ivory Line really spoke to me at the time. Um, and it, you know, really resonated with what I was going through, um, during that point in my, in my life. And I sort of just like held on to it up until, you know, till this day. And I, I don't have any, or I don't foresee sort of replacing that. I think it's almost like a part of who I am at this point. For sure. And you went to Arizona state, right? Uh, for college. Yes. I went to ASU for four years. Yeah. So when did you like get obsessed with the whole type aspect of things in life? Did you always have a thing for like lettering and logos growing up or did you really find your groove within college or did you kind of already know what you wanted to do and then you just like amplified it then? Right. Well, so starting out in high school, I actually, well, even before high school, I actually started taking art class, you know, from first grade up until I graduated high school. So I was actually more, more on the art route, like fine arts painting and stuff. Yeah. Like fine arts. So I was painting a lot. I was actually doing a lot of painting, um, sculptural stuff, like anything, fine art related. I was doing that. But then junior year is when my, my high school offered a graphic design class. And that's when I was just like, Oh, if, if I could do art, I could do design. And, you know, I, I assumed it would be an easy a, but, uh, little did I know there are two different worlds. So taking that further, you know, I got very interested in design in high school and my teacher went through the ASU design program. And that's sort of what led me to, you know, go to ASU and focus more on design because sadly, you know, there is that sort of stigma that, um, artists are starving artists, starving artists. It's a hobby. And how do you make money from it? You know? Right. Even though I don't agree with that whatsoever, but at the time, you know, of course my parents and many others were sort of instilling this sense of fear, you know, that makes you wonder like, should I go into art? That's why most of us go into design because of that stereotype we've been fed. Yep. It's so sad, but you know, that's what ended up happening. And obviously, you know, I have no, I have no regrets. I enjoyed being a designer. Um, and I still get to use that, that art aspect in my everyday design life. And so, um, so yeah, so that's how I got into, um, the Arizona state design program and then continuing further my my freshman year is when I was like sort of thrown into at least understanding anything about typography because we had to paint our letter forms. We had to, uh, to, to try and gain an understanding of how an H is made or how an E is made. Um, we had to paint them all by hand to perfection. You know, if you were a millimeter or two millimeters off, you had to essentially redo it or repaint it. Um, so we work back and forth with white and black placa if you've ever used Plaka, it's kind of just like this clay based, I think it's a clay based paint because it, it's very, it's very like a thick paint and you had to add water to it and mix it up. And anyway, uh, so that's how I got into typography. We, we had like that sort of intro class and I was very interested in, in like the sort of construction aspect of it. And then, uh, you know, getting into, uh, my later years in college, like uh, sophomore and junior year, I was really sort of I guess bogged down by a lot of the, the courses and the classes that I was taking because they were so strict um, and so rooted within Swiss design. And if you've seen my work, it is very far from Swiss it's design. not even close. Uh, and I think that's why is because I, I, I hate Swiss design maybe because of the program, but maybe it's also steered me in a way that, you know, I know, I know what I like and what I don't like. And so that's when I sort of experimented with lettering more and more because I needed this sort of, this sort of outlet to still create something, 
on my own terms and enjoy it and enjoy the process and all that stuff. And so, you know, I slowly started to get more and more into, into lettering. And that's when I forced myself to do that project 365. So when you started this, what year would this have been just so people can kind of calculate it? Cause we're, you're a couple years younger than me, but I think we both, we both started Instagram somewhat at the same time. I think you got a little bit more of a jump on than it, than I did. Yeah, I want to say like what, 2012, 2013 maybe? See, I got into Instagram at like 2013, hardcore lettering in 2014. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I first started out, like I, I made an Instagram pretty late into the game compared to a lot of my friends, you know? Instagram at that point was probably, I don't know, maybe maybe four or five years old, at least getting big at four or five years old. And so it was still relatively new. And, um, you know, I just looked at Instagram as a way to sort of share the work that I was doing in a new way rather than, you know, cause a lot of my friends of course are taking photos of their food, food. of their pets <laughs> of, you know, whatever, whatever they fancy they were posting on Instagram. And I was trying to look at it as more of a, you know, as a portfolio. So what made you start that lettering 365? Like what was the thing that you're like, this is what I'm going to do. Cause now there's all these challenges of the 365 challenge, but it sounds like you were one of the OGs in doing it. I'd like to think so, but I don't know for sure if I, if I truly was, I wanted to do it mostly because I, like I said, I needed a challenge. I needed something to, to creatively push me, but then to also see what I'm capable of. You know, it was kind of just a, a, a challenge to, to see to see what I'm capable of, essentially, yeah. I forced myself to, of course, create something every single day for an entire year, and that was very difficult, especially when there's times where, of course, there's many days you don't want to do it. There's some days where you have other things to do. Of course, going through school, I had an immense amount of, of classwork, but then I also had my full-time or part-time job at, at the advertising agency that I was working at. And so it was a, it was a constant juggle of balancing all of that and... Um, you know, just having that, that, uh, social aspect of posting it on Instagram and then having that immediate feedback was obviously a great sort of motivator because people were expecting something people knew, Oh, what is, you know, something's going to be posted tomorrow. The consistency there, people notice consistency. And I think that's sort of how my following slowly started to build up, especially back then when Instagram was such a baby, it was so much easier to, to get noticed and to get your work out there. Um, whereas now it's a very different story, of course, as you know, like that, that first wave of like lettering popularity started taking over. Right, exactly. And that was, that was when lettering was slowly making a, I guess a comeback, if you will comeback. Yep. Um, and now it's like, I would say it's pretty mainstream. I feel like there's a massive amount of people doing it now, which is great. It's very saturated. So it is much harder to stand out from the rest, but you know, it's just, again, it comes down to you know, what, what's something new you can offer? How, again, maybe it's consistency. There's a whole slew of things to take into account along with trying to battle the, the algorithm. <laughs> exactly. Or trying to do and vomit what everybody else is doing. Like, how can you stand out? I know, man, it's tough. It's tough. What was probably like the biggest thing that the 365 challenge sprung you towards next? You know, what were the biggest takeaways and how did that totally blow up your, I guess your young career? Right. At that point, uh, you know, when I finished the challenge, yeah, you know, it was probably like what 20, it might've been like the start of 2014, of course. Cause I think I started January 1st, 2013. I could be wrong on all these dates, but let's just use those. <laughs> uh, so 2014 was when I think I was a 
I might have been a junior in in college. So, you know, it sort of set up a nice trajectory in the freelance world. Like I was I was doing freelance projects um, throughout the 365 uh, project that I gave myself. And then, of course, clients and companies were seeing this work that I was doing. Um, and one of my major, you know, huge first gigs that I got when I was, um, I think I was a sophomore or maybe an early junior at the time was with TGI Fridays. And that's when I knew I was like, okay, I can do this full time if I truly wanted to, or at least continue to do this so that, you know, I can work with, you know, huge, um, advertising agencies or bigger companies similar to TGI Fridays because that was a really great paying gig, especially being a student. I was like, damn, I could pay off my student loans in a couple, a couple more gigs. And, and I definitely want to talk about how you were able to pay off the student loans later. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally down to talk about okay, that. That one's crazy. So yeah, man. I mean, it was just like, I, I feel like it was the right place at the right time, honestly. And everything just sort of aligned, the stars aligned. And, and that's when I knew, you know, even before, before I did uh, the project 365, I thought to myself, okay, I'll just, I'll be that guy that's living and working in living, (laughs) working in a studio, uh, or or an agency living under your art easel. Right. So like, I, I just assumed that I would be that guy that, you know, sort of does that for life. But then when I got that TGI Fridays project, I was like, okay, maybe I could do freelance and maybe I could be my own boss. And it, it just never sort of occurred to me until TGI Fridays or this advertising agency that gave me the, the project with TGI Fridays you know, once they gave me that opportunity, that's when this sort of ball started rolling. And I was like, damn, I, I think I could do this. <laughs> so it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. That's wild that a 365 personal project can not only unlock consistency, time management, but confidence in your work and get yourself consistently in front of people to remind people you exist. Did they find you through Instagram then? Yeah, everything's through Instagram. At that point, I feel like social media was the wild west because I, shortly after that TGI Fridays project, there was the girl skateboards project that I also got through Behance of all places. Like all you had to do was hashtag your work. And I was like, sure, why not hashtag my work? And then, you know, a couple weeks later, I remember waking up uh, at 6 AM as I normally do. And I checked my email and I saw, I got an email from somebody from Adobe and girl skateboards that wanted to work with me um, on this girl skateboards project. So it's just, it's freaking nuts, man. It's nuts. Your story definitely isn't normal by any means it's definitely not normal i'd like to think that yeah <laughs> did when you graduated have you just been full-time freelance ever since or did you have a job somewhere right so when i when i graduated at that point i still had my my gig at zion and zion which was the advertising agency that i was working at and i knew that i was going to go through the type of cooper program explain what that is too for people who don't know right so the type of cooper program is a a postgraduate certificate program in New York City, and now they have one in San Francisco. Um, at the time, the San Francisco one didn't exist, so that's why I was like, okay, I'm moving to New York. And so I knew I was going to that program, and I wanted the stability, of course, of having a job so that I could pay for, you know, I, we're moving to New York City. I had no idea what to expect. I, I, I know everybody said, you know, how expensive the rent was, and of course, the cost of living and everything is so much more. So I thought, okay, I should probably have a full-time job or at least a steady flow of income. So that's when I applied at Stranger and Stranger. And uh, I got an internship there for, um, it was about three months. The internship lasted three months, but then, you know, they're, I feel like they were about to offer me a, you know, a full-time position because we had talks about it, but 
at that point, it was very hard for me to, to manage, um, the stranger and stranger aspect along with the typer type at Cooper schedule. So both schedules, it just didn't work out. So I had to make the choice. Do I do, you know, it was one or the other. And so since I made the move to New York, um, for the, the type of Cooper program specifically, I feel like the choice was kind of obvious. I knew I needed to focus more on school. And so that was kind of like my unintentional jump into full-time freelance. I was like, well, I, I don't want to go searching for another job right now. So the freelance works hopefully will pay off. And, you know, I've been freelancing ever since. What age was you? Let's see. I'm 25 now. <laughs> I think I was 22, 21 or 22. And it's funny because you're 25. So this this is something I'm, I'm very open and honest about. You were actually one of the people I compared myself to the most and beat myself up about because in my mind, I got such a late start. I fucked around a lot. That's okay, I, man. I, I, I know, but at the time, like it's taken me a long time to accept that we're all on these different paths. Right, yeah. You know, we start our, our marathon at a different speed. We go at different speeds. We're all at different destinations. And it took me a long time to understand, like, it's okay what I'm doing. You know, what I'm doing is for me. Exactly. And a lot of people might be looking and listening right now and be like, holy shit, he's done all this for 25. And in the intro, I'll name all these massive brands you've worked with. But it's when you hear this stuff, just know that everybody's path is different. You know, don't get lost in comparison because you have a story that is easily to fall victim to comparison to. Right. I was just going to say everybody's um, sort of life events and motivations and inspirations and all those things sort of lead you into that trajectory. So not everybody, it's okay to not have the right path because sometimes you get that motivation or you get that inspiration later in life, or maybe you don't know what you're doing at first because you, you know, meandered into a career doing uh, music instead of design or wh whatever that thing may be. It's okay because as long as you end up in that point, you know, in the nearby future or later on down the road, you know, you get there when you get there and that's all that matters really. And I thought like I needed to be successful and to be well known and to have a thriving career. I needed to take on, you know, put myself in a position to take on lots of freelance and land these big clients. And once I stopped, you know, pursuing that and accepting what I'm doing, I realized, Hey, maybe that's actually not the route I want to take and maybe building the podcast and go the coaching route. That's what, you know, sparks my lights, my spirit up more. So it's funny once I stopped caring so much about what someone like you or everyone else was doing, I ended up finding that I'm really happy doing this, what I do right now. And if freelance comes, if it's hell yes, I'll take it on. If it's not, it's not a big deal. There you go. Yeah, man. And everybody's form of success is completely different too. So, you know, my form of success is obviously very different from yours. Like you said, you want to get into the, the podcasting stuff and like that. I have no interest in that, but I think that's wonderful that you do. And I think um, that's another thing to be aware of as well is that we're not all on the same page in form of in, in terms of success and what you deem um, successful, quote unquote successful. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt as well. Make your own definition of what success looks like to you, for sure, instead of trying to mimic what success is for someone else. I want to take a few moments of your time to give a huge shout out to Matt and Ariana Dawson for putting on Crop Conference. They produced five sold out events in three short years through Crop and their pop-up Crop events. This April is no exception. Expect two full days of workshops, speakers, after parties, and most importantly, building new relationships with like-minded people. 
right? I can't explain how much conferences have changed my life, especially ones like Crop. And this year includes big names like Lauren Hom, James Victory, John Cantino. I got Fug Strader hosting a workshop. My friends, Adam Vicarell, um, he'll be speaking as well as my awesome friend, Lisa Quine, who is just an absolute beast. And she's been on the show. Those last three people, plus Lauren Hom, they've all been on the show before. But you should totally check them out. So here is a podcast listener only deal. When registering for Crop 2019 in April, use the code PIZZA to automatically be entered to win a free ticket to their pop-up crop fall event. Potentially, that's two conferences for the price of one. And you cannot beat that. And again, this one will sell out just like all five of their other events have. So use PIZZA and register at CropCons.com today. Your boy's going to be there. I already got my Airbnb booked. Airbnbs are booking up quick too, so get on it now. Otherwise, there's two dope hotels. Everything's within walking distance. It's a close, intimate setting. It's super special. So come and party with me and the crew. Thanks, Crop. Thanks, Matt and Ariadna. I appreciate you guys and I love you. Freelance, full-time freelance, if people are aiming for that, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like I, I've, you and I have talked plenty of times of you looking for work or putting yourself out there. Hey, I'm available. So what are like some of the tougher times? And then how does a typical, uh, a typical day of freelance look for you? Cause you're awesome with your time management coming out of college, you know? So are you a very structured, are you a very structured person? Very, very structured. Uh, you know, being in college, that's when I had my part-time job that was from 6 AM. They let me come in early, <laughs> luckily. So I, I went in from 6 AM to about 1 PM from 1 PM to about four was when I had my class. Um, and then from 4 PM to, you know, maybe seven or so is when I'm doing my class work, like my, my homework. And then 7 PM onward is generally when I was doing my freelance work. And then I was doing that every day for like three years. And of course it took a huge toll on me. Like I was, I was burning it at both ends for way too long. And of course it all came to a screeching halt, you know, towards the end of my senior year, even junior year, I was ready to drop out of school junior year. I had many talks with my teachers. They could tell that I was frustrated and just pissed off all the time. Um, cause I was just burned out, you know, and I had to just continually push myself through it. And I ended up obviously graduating too, because I knew, you know, I already put myself through three years of that. You know, I, I thought, okay, I can suck it up for one more. That was a, a horrible setup to everything else, but you know, it was a great experience at the same time because I learned a lot, um, along the way. And I learned a lot about myself and what I like, what I don't like. And then of course, to how to manage my time more effectively. First, let's talk about how do you manage your time? Cause a lot of people, the main thing, main question, main struggle I always get is how do you make time to focus on grinding, you know, doing the thing that whether it's full-time freelance or just like a side passion project hustle outside the day job, what's that look like for you? Do you have like a, do you use like an Asana, a task program? Do you plan everything a week advance? Do you plan the night before your daily attack? No, I mean, it's funny. A lot of people ask me this question. And for me, I guess for me, it's writing it down. Like I have a, I have just a notebook, a Moleskine notebook, and I'm, I'm writing down my tasks. I'm writing down, you know, the projects that I have to do. Um, that's where a lot of my ideation and my sketching happens as well. So it's kind of like my one-stop shop for everything. I guess sometimes I write to-do lists in there as well, but mo- I feel like most of it's just in my head. And sometimes, sometimes I'll forget something, but most of the time I'm, I'm very, um, on top of all the projects that I have going on. And so, but to, to carve out time for like your side projects and stuff, 
I don't know if I'm honestly, I'm going to just say this. I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about it because the past two or three years, I haven't had time to carve out side projects. I've, I've actually taken the past two or three years to more focus on myself um, because of my previous years in college of just burnout. I think I, I have a lot of like growth and stuff left to do. And I think that's perfectly fine. I think I've, I've, uh, I've deserved this, <laughs> this break, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, but when I was in school, I was just waking up earlier. You know, I would get up, I'm a morning person as it is. So I'd get up at, at 5 AM and I'd start drawing and, and doing my, 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 um, my daily sketch at five in the morning. Um, and then of course, staying up really late too. I would end up staying up until, um, 11 or 12, some nights, some nights, two or three, if the, if the deadlines were coming up. And so, you know, that's, I don't know if that's necessarily a healthy thing to do. I think it's just a matter of prioritizing your time. Um, you know, maybe instead, like what I do now is instead of playing video games or watching Netflix or whatever, maybe shut that off, uh, two or three days out of the week and spend that time that you would be watching, you know, working on your, your side hustle or whatever that thing may be. Well, and what I really appreciate about you two and your openness about this is mental health. Yes. Not only like a mindset to approach each day, like and, and positivity and operating from, you know, uh, uh, abundance, but mental health. Like, how important is your mental health, and what do you do to make time to take care of you first before you worry about anything else on your plate? Because mental health, having good mental health and even good physical health, will then help you to thrive with whatever your creative pursuits are as well. Yeah, exactly. Cause when I hit that burnout stage, you know, of course I was so drained creatively, um, physically and every way possible. I couldn't, I, I barely, I barely could work. I was like, some days I was crying in the mornings cause I was just so, uh, almost depressed because I was so burned out. Would it be like overwhelmed and stressed as well? Yeah. Anxiety. Did you deal with anxiety as well? Yeah. All that stuff just sort of built up and I didn't, I didn't feel it at the time until I hit this sort of breaking point, of course. <clears throat> but mental health, of course, now, now knowing all of that, it's, it's a huge part of my, my everyday practice in terms of, you know, now I do some meditation. I cycle every day to and from work. So I get my physical activity in, I get my sort of mental clarity in. When, when do you meditate in the morning or at night? Both. Are you in your, your headspace app, right? Yeah. I'm using headspace for that. Um, and that's been a lifesaver. How long durations? I think it depends on the mood I'm in because sometimes it could be five minutes, sometimes it could be 10. You know, as long as you're sort of just, I don't know, waking up with a clear head and then going to bed with a clear head, it sort of helps me sleep too. Because I have a very <laughs> like overactive, imaginative uh, sort of mind and I have like these fucking gnarly dreams. <laughs> like, the, <laughs> like the kind of dreams that you wake up and you're like, what the hell was that about? And it was like, it's a kind of dream that keeps me tossing and turning at night. And so meditation has honestly helped me sort of calm all of that down so that I can sleep better at night. Mine's a 10 to 15 minute at night. That's like helps me turn it off. Exactly. And I think that's, that's super imperative for me just in terms of just becoming um, sort of sane again because the anxiety and the depression and stuff can set in at different times. I think, you know, from our discussions of like the health stuff that I went through a year ago. Yeah, you had a, a big life-changing experience that kind of had some internal paradigm shift within you. Yeah, it was it was nuts. I, I feel like I've been or become a completely different person because of that event. And that's what life's all about, honestly. Like you're trying to learn more about yourself as you 
you grow and as you age. And um, this sort of health event um, that happened was that that sort of again it was it was kind of like my burnout. I just hit a wall, and you know a lot of a lot of it was mental, um, but most of it, of course, physical as well. Um, but anyway, I'll I'll set the scene. Um, for everyone listening, grab your popcorn. Yeah. Grab your popcorn. Everybody. <laughs> this is a good story. Uh, no, it's, it's kind of gross, honestly. So I'll just preface it with that. It's kind of gross, of course, but I'm an open person. So I'm totally down to talk about everything about this process. And so, uh, it was, uh, shortly after Thanksgiving or no, it was the day before to Thanksgiving. I woke up, you know, went to the restroom as I normally do. And I had, I had blood in my stool and that was just, the scariest moment in my life. Of course, I've never had, I think I've always been like a relatively healthy person. You know, every time I go to the doctor, they're like, Oh, you're a great weight. You're a great height. Everything sounds wonderful. Get out of here, kid. Uh, but then when this event happened, you know, I had to take my girlfriend to work and I just remember like, you know, I'm driving in the car and I was just straight face. I, cause of course I'm like thinking like, what the fuck's happening to me? What's going on? Lost in your head. Yeah. I, I was internalizing everything. And of course my immediate reaction is like the worst thing possible. I got a little hypochondriac in me too. The same things happened with me. Yeah, man. And it's, it's, it's serious for me. So that was happening. And, you know, I went throughout the whole day just sort of contemplating what this could have been. And I, I sort of, I feel like I just instantly hit rock bottom. I thought the worst thing possible. I thought like, this is it. I'm dying. I don't know. I don't know why, but that was, that was, that was what my mind ended up doing. And so, uh, the first thing I did was I called my parents cause I knew my, my mom and my dad went through something similar and I was like, well, they're okay. Maybe I'll be okay too. And, uh, we, we ended up talking for a while. And of course I'm crying on the phone the whole time because I'm thinking the worst thing possible. I was crying so uncontrollably that my parents had to call the doctor for me because I could I couldn't make any words out. So my my parents called the doctor. Um and luckily they somehow got me in the exact same day, which was a miracle. It was amazing. Uh so I got in the same day and then, you know, of course they had to run their tests. That's disgusting too, so I won't get into it. <laughs> and uh they told me that my prostate was enlarged and so you know, and I'm thinking back to my, my grandpa, my grandpa had prostate cancer. Um, and so again, I'm thinking the worst thing possible. I'm like, Oh God, I'm going to die from prostate cancer. <laughs> and, uh, I spent a long time crying. I spent a long time crying because I of course had no clue what the fuck this, what the fuck this was. Uh, and then of course I had lost my appetite. I wasn't eating. Um, I couldn't sleep. I was like shaking uncontrollably. I was just, I was a freaking mess. I've never hit this point in my life, even with the burnout before it was nothing like this. It was, it was like three times what my burnout was. I, you know, of course took it one day at a time. I was like, okay, I need to, I need to eat something. So I'd force myself to eat a little something here and there. But, you know, of course with this event that happened, I'm thinking, Oh, if, if I keep eating, am I going to keep pooping out blood? Essentially. <laughs> so, so I was, I was honestly scared. I was very fearful to even eat food, like something that's so common and necessary for the human body. And I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do it. So of course I was losing weight and I'm already underweight as it is. I'm a skinny guy and I'm cycling all the time. I'm getting too much cardio as it is too. So I was losing too much weight and I lost like eight or nine pounds in the span of two weeks. Cause I had to go back for follow-up appointments cause they ran their blood tests that, you know, I had every test imaginable. 
I had to poop in a cup. I had to do all this disgusting shit only to find out. Luckily at the end of it, it was just because I was eating foods that I was allergic to. And I didn't know that I was allergic to these foods, I guess. <laughs> so, so everything's okay. Uh, which is great. What kind of snapped you out of it? Was it getting that diagnosis? And then the, what, what flipped that switch in you? Like, Hey, it's time to focus on my mental health, not only and physical health. Yeah, I mean, I think it was obviously hitting rock bottom. Like, I literally, I remember sitting outside over here. I was on the phone with my brother. I texted my brother, and I said, hey, man, can I call you? I needed somebody to talk to. And I I remember having a conversation with him, and it was so funny. He was telling me, like, oh, yeah, I've been through that before. And I'm like, what the fuck? Why haven't you told me this? Like, it seems like it was this everyday occurrence for people. And then when I'm experiencing it, it's like life or death for me for some reason. It was just, again, it was a mental thing. Cause obviously some people look at it and they're like, Oh, it's nothing. Um, but for me, it was like this huge life event and I, I just couldn't get over it. So of course I'm thinking to myself, well, this isn't normal. How do I fix this? Um, but I remember sitting on the phone with my brother and I even told him, I was like, I love you, man. And it's weird for me to say, I love you to my brothers because we don't do that. Mm-hmm. I know, I know that's strange for some people, but we just, there's like a mutual love. We just never say it. But I remember getting off the phone. I told him I loved him because I literally thought I was dying. <laughs> I don't know what, why I reached this point, but it was just crazy for me. So, you know, getting getting that sort of prognosis or, or them telling me like, oh, it's just the food that you're eating. All you got to do is stay away from this, this, and this. It was like, obviously, it was a huge weight off my shoulders. But at the same time, I was sort of left with this uh, constant feeling of fear. And that's a terrible way to live. But even I'm not going to lie, even to this day, I still have these sort of hypochondriac sort of fears whenever I'm having those sort of sensations or a symptom or, you know, if I have like I'm like I have an eye twitch and I've had it for two months. And of course, my instant think is like my instant thought is like, oh, man, I have a brain tumor. Great. This is it. Uh, So even to this day, I still have those those fears. And I I won't say that I've gotten over it. Honestly, I, I don't think I have. I've been more maybe at peace with it because I need to come to terms with the fact that, you know, at some point we're all going to die. And I think I, I know that, but I'm very fearful of that. Uh, like that's like my greatest fear is passing away. I don't want to, uh, maybe it's because I'm not religious and I don't know, you know, what's next or I don't, I don't know. There's like, that's a whole other conversation I don't have an answer for that. I haven't gotten over it. I'm still, I'm still stuck in this fear-based mindset, to be honest. And I'm slowly working on it, though. You know, I'm, I've been doing therapy. Um, I've been talking to a therapist using, um, oh man, what's it called? I'll have to get back to you on that. I think it's called like Good Help or something. It's an online resource um, where you can essentially just type in your symptoms, you know, get connected with a therapist online. So you don't have to like, that's awesome. Go searching for one in person. It's generally cheaper. Of course you can ask for, you can ask for discounts and things if you're eligible for them. So anyway, I haven't used it in a while. That's why I can't think of the the name. Cause I thought I reached a point where I was like, okay, I th- I'm feeling pretty good. And the therapist helped me, you know, and I've changed my diet. I've changed like every product I've ever used. So, uh, the water filter I'm using the toothpaste, the, the fucking shampoo on my head, more holistic in a sense. Everything's very holistic. I'm a very, I was already raised in a holistic sense. 
Um, as you know, my mother has very much that direction. So she already raised me to be that way. So it wasn't that hard for me to make the switch, which is kind of nice, but you know, there were some products that would have, you know, even my deodorant of course has like aluminum and all these, um, terrible things that shouldn't be rubbed all over your body. And so I've been making a lot of switches in that regard as well. So that way I can feel more at peace with the way I'm treating myself so that mentally I can be like, okay, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Um, and if I still somehow get sick or something, well, damn, you'll deal <laughs> <I'll try>. with <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. Something I admire is just the self-awareness you have at 25. Like, I feel like you're way ahead than where I was at 25, and I'm just really getting it now, especially at the age of 30. Like, in 2018 and 2019, I'm thinking so much clearly and accepting and embracing myself. But one thing you've really helped me with is my mindset, and I specifically remember sitting at Iron Bank at Creative South, and I was just speaking out loud some negative shit. You told me just, dude, stop being so fucking negative. Right. Yeah, that's that's it. And it it's been ingrained in my mind and you've turned me on to books like E Squared from Pam Grout and I talk about this in other episodes, but law of the attraction, like you grew up with your mom believing this too. What does this mean to you? How are you able to manifest and create opportunities? Especially how were you able to pay off your debt? These are the things that are woo woo. This is perspective podcast for a reason. This stuff has significantly changed my life. I owe much of my success over the last couple of years what I feel is success to this new way of thinking. Yes. Every time you tell me a new story about like, I remember uh, when you slacked me a message and you said something about, Hey man, I just landed this gig with Apple. And it's so crazy that my son, we, you know, we just went, you just went to the doctor or something and your son was the size of an apple. And I was just like, what are the freaking odds? And my wife was telling us the, the weekends with all within a week, uh, our son was the size of an apple with inside of her. She was freaking out, like, how are we going to afford this? How are we going to afford to build his room right now? Because we had to build a room within the house. And I'm like, don't worry. Something always comes up. I'm always able to take care of it. Something always is coming my way. And not even six days later, I get the project request from Apple. Unfortunately, the project didn't go through, but the first stages of it really helped us get the money that we needed for something. So, But, but I've never told that story to anybody publicly yet. Oh, sorry for spoiling the story. It's good. Honestly, I think it's perfect for this, but you really helped me crack this mindset of things. Like, so how were you able to pay off your debt? Yeah. So for me, um, just like your Apple gig, I was, I've always been thinking about the student loans that have been looming over my head for, you know, two or three years. It's a burden and you can feel buried. Yeah, exactly. It, it was kind of just like even being in New York on top of all the payments that I was, I was paying for rent and internet and everything else, I had to pay my student loans. And so it was very hard to do all of those, those payments all at once. Uh, and so I always just had this thought in the back of my head. I was like, damn, I'd love to pay off my student loans. And then uh, reading um, E Squared by Pam Groot, I was just sort of, uh, I guess, motivated again to sort of put her actions or put her, put her words into actions, into thoughts, into mindset. And, and she has all those exercises that she has. Right. And so for me, it was kind of just uh, internalizing that, like, okay, I'm going to give myself this deadline. Like, I'm going to pay off my student loans next month. And then I would sort of think about that every single day. I'd wake up and my first thought would be like, okay, somehow I'm going to pay off my student loans. I don't know how. It's like in your mindset, that's already your reality. Exactly. That's what it is. It, that's what her, her teachings are. You have to sort of 
portray that this thing has already happened. Um, and I know this all sounds fucking nuts. Dude, the biggest, most successful people in the world all talk about this. They talk about meditation. If the most successful people in the world talk about this, there's got to be something to it. I agree. And honestly, at the end of the day, if you're still like super uh, skeptical of it, I don't think there's any harm in at least attempting to try it out because what's, what's the worst still, that can happen, right? You're still a positive, like in a more positive mindset. Exactly. At the end you're of the on, day, a, you're so. on a different frequency, you know, exactly. and it's going to positively affect other people. Like the, what's the worst that can happen? Otherwise just being negative about it. You're just going to stay in this, this hole that you're in. Why not change something? Exactly, man. You get it. Uh, so yeah, I was sort of, uh, in that sort of mindset, just thinking about, okay, how do I get rid of these student loans? And then, you know, after a month of sort of really internalizing this and, and sort of portraying it into my reality, I get a email from uh, VML, which is um, an advertising agency in Chicago, and they were contacting me about doing this job with Panama Tourism. And at the time, you know, I got the initial email and I was like quoting it out and they were like, hey, we need some lettering for this campaign. I was just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Because, you know, I send along estimates all the time and most of the time they don't go through. Um, you know, most of the time they'll come back to me. Actually, most of the time they won't come back to me. They don't answer. Uh, I get they it. don't I get respond it. whatsoever. I'll, I'll even follow up and be like, Hey, did you get that estimate? And then nothing. Uh, but anyway, I, uh, sent along this estimate and they like followed up within a day or two and they're like, perfect, let's get going. And so I sent along this estimate. And at the time, I think that one estimate was for maybe two or three pieces of lettering. And so it was a pretty small gig, you know, can, like, you, can you give a, a price amount just for the listeners? Oh yeah. I was just, I was just about to, it was like, I think two or 3000 bucks for, I can't remember exactly what I was pricing out. It was like two or three, essentially like a, uh, like an initial sketching phase just to see if I was capable of doing the work. So I think it was like two or 3000 bucks for the first gig and I, and I, they approved it. It worked out. Then they came back to me and they said, okay, this is great. We need 10 more. And then I sent out another quote. I think that quote came out to like, I don't know, it might've been around nine or 10,000 cause they needed 10 pieces of lettering. Um, and then they, they're like, okay, perfect. Like the process for this project was just pure bliss. I sent along the stuff. They had no changes. It was, it was like approved right off the bat. And then we'd go on and do some more work. So it was amazing. This is very rare. Everything about this is very rare. Uh, and then they came back to me again. They said, okay, we have like, I think it was like 15 or 20 more pieces. And then they needed another 10 or 20 more pieces that were in Spanish because this is for Panama tourism. So I had to do the, do the same work, but translated. So all in all, I ended up doing like 45 or so pieces of custom lettering. Some of them were quotes and phrases. Some of them were just one word or two or three words. Um, and I went through endless amounts of paper and stuff to do all the the custom calligraphy. But by the end of this project, it was an $85,000 project. After I, after I finished everything, everything was said and done. I got paid. It was just, it was insane. It was $85,000. My student debt at the time was, uh, like 53,000 or something from ASU. It was nuts. Um, and so I thought, you know, of course I'm talking to my dad. I'm like, dad, what do I do with all this money? Cause of course I've never been paid anything close to this. This is a very rare opportunity. And and uh, of course, my dad's like, oh, you should invest. And my dad's a business person. So Put he's like, oh, you Bitcoin. should invest it. I'm, yeah. just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, my dad would have said that. Yeah, <laughs> invested in this and like, you know, put it in stocks and stuff. And and I kept thinking like, yeah, I could do that. And of course, make more money in the long term. But then I thought, I just want to get rid of the student debt. Like, this is my my 
my goal and my my sort of thing that I've been after for so long. What you asked for. Right. This is what I've asked for. And uh, the, the opportunity presented itself. And I, you know, I, my dad was very, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't very into this idea, but I told my dad, I was like, dad, I'm just going to pay it all off. I'm going to pay $53,000 off right now. I would do the same. And so I called up, you know, fed loan servicing and I was like, Hey, is it possible to make a payment in the the amount of $53,000? And they're like, yeah, I don't see why not. And so I gave them my card or my bank info because I think they had to do a bank transfer or something. And then bam, it was done. I was just, it was a, a, a huge, huge weight lifted off my shoulders. I was just like, I can't believe it's gone. It was just amazing. But if, then, of course, I had like the 30000 left over and I had to save that because I had to pay off all the taxes on that. Because, of course, I'm not getting I'm not actually getting $85,000 um, because after taxes and everything you else. You push 30% minimum aside. Right. Exactly. So the 30000 that was left over, oh, I had to pay a good majority of that to taxes the next year. So all that money's gone, but it was totally worth it because I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, the fact that you just had the mindset that this was coming, you asked probably out loud a specific amount of money out loud. So that's the whole concept. If you, we'll wrap this section up, but look into books like The Secret, but Pam Pam Groot or Grout and E Square takes that to the next level. It's not for everyone, but it could be for you. I was skeptical as hell, and it's changed my life. It's changed Scott's life. So. You know, and I continue to talk about this on the podcast. So, you know, if you want to learn more about this, hit me or Scott up um, real quick before we go to rapid fire questions. What's one piece of advice you give your past self when you were just starting off? Oh, man, just take it easy. Like pace yourself. Yeah, exactly. What you were talking about earlier on about how you were comparing yourself to me and others around you. Um, I was doing the same thing, but. I was comparing myself to people that have been in the industry for 15 or 20 years, and I'm trying to reach that level. And so that's how I hit the burnout stage. And so I guess my, my piece of advice would be just, you know, take your time. Like it's a, it's a journey. It's, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, that sort of thing. And so it's okay for it to take time and it, and it will, everybody's career takes time. It's not just an overnight success. And I think in the age of social media, we sort of portray that it is an overnight success, which is very unhealthy. Um, but you know, if you guys scroll to the bottom of my Instagram feed, you can see all that the the past projects that I have done and that it has taken me, you know, at this point, it's been six or seven years to get to this point where I'm at now. So yeah, it takes time. It takes time. Dope. All right. Moving to rapid fire questions. If you were on death row, what would your last slice of pizza be? And this disregard any healthy, new <laughs> mindset that you're currently in okay you're on death row it does not matter you're not here tomorrow hawaiian pizza with pineapple somebody fight me about it i love pineapple on pizza i'm sorry if it's for you it's for you if it's not it's not well some people get pissed about i know it. why do you care why i know they, yeah let let people uh, enjoy things right exactly let me enjoy my pineapple i never got a chance really to dive into this one i'm scrolling back up um real quick tell us about what brand loyal is in this new collective that you're a part of yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, after I was applying to for the Adobe Creative Residency last year, I got the in-person interview. I thought, oh, hell yeah, I got this. And then, you know, I got the rejection, which really sucks. I even thought you had it, man. I appreciate it. We were asking, we were attracting, but, you know, it doesn't always work that way. Right. That's all good. So, you know, uh, a week or two after that happened, my buddy Doug reached out to me and he's like, hey, I'm starting this thing. And uh, he was starting this new thing called Brand Loyal. Uh, it's essentially like a freelancer collective. So we've got 
Uh, Doug's a designer. Alex Leipart is also a designer. Myself, uh, PJ Zabo does some film and video. We got Justin Zellers that does 3D architectural renderings. Um, and then we have uh, um, August and Andrew that are also other designers. And so we're doing like uh, a huge wide variety of projects from cannabis to architectural stuff. And so we do a little bit of everything. Um, and that's how we sort of market ourselves to a lot of the uh, agencies and studios. And of course, just any client for that matter here in Phoenix that, you know, we are cutting the cost of the agency, the agency life, because of course they take so much for all, all their employees and everything else. Um, and so we're trying to cut out the middleman and, and do it ourselves. And, you know, after not getting the residency, I was looking for that next step. So brand loyal was the next thing he reached out and he said, Hey, I'm starting this thing. Do you want to move into the Menorchid, which is a co-working space downtown? And at that point I was just like, fuck it. What have I got to lose? You know, I, I didn't have anything else going on and I needed, I needed something to push me forward. And that was that thing. So we've been, we've been down in that space, um, almost a year. Um, and it's been, it's been awesome. We've developed a lot of client relationships so far. I've worked on so many really cool local projects, which is very rare for me. Cause a lot of my projects are, you know, New York or Chicago or San Francisco. Um, so it's great to be in the local scene and to be helping and seeing my work come to life. So that's been, it's been awesome. Dope. I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes. Uh, real quick. If you could have lunch with one person dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh my God. Uh, Paul Rudd. I love Paul. Rudd. <laughs> We're watching old friends episodes and Paul yeah. Rudd is in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like everything he does is for me, I love it. I just, he's just like pure comedic gold. Uh, he's like, I'm not gonna lie. He's attractive as hell too. I love you, man. He's attractive <laughs> as hell. He's a good looking dude. Uh, and he's just aging well too. You know, he's looking great in Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love everything Paul Rudd. And I think he'd just be a great dude to just hang out with and just have a conversation with. Script, Serif, or Sans Serif? Script. All my stuff is tending to lean to that script. Um, What's your favorite typeface overall or the one you've been vibing to the most lately? Man, honestly, anything James Edmondson's making, like Blaze Face, obviously. I've been loving, obviously, that he just recent, recently released. That thing's massive, but it can take care of everything you ever need. So highly recommend everything James is making. Um, what's your guilty pleasure outside of design? Uh, dude, video games. Uh, okay. I, you- <laughs> I knew that. I knew that, but not everybody else does. What's your yeah. favorite character? or game story that you like to play yeah i mean for me i think you know it's like it's i've been playing halo freaking three every day <laughs> i'm obsessed with halo three um for those of you listening I, I play the uh master chief collection so it's not the original halo three but the remastered halo three so you can put your handle out there if you want to yeah uh set my soul on fire is on my xbox username so it's pretty close to you ring fire i had to get him somewhat similar uh, and so, yeah, man, I've played like 991 hours of Halo 3, which is actually pretty fucking disgusting. So <laughs> I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. It was a great 991 hours. That was just last year. So it was pretty sweet. That's last year. Oh, my God. And also, are you a big Zelda fan? Oh, huge Zelda fan. Oh, my God. Okay. I, I dig Zelda, too. Yeah. Everything Nintendo, pretty much, too. Okay. Uh, where can people go to follow you and support you online? Dude, follow me on Instagram, uh, at you bring fire, Twitter, same thing at you bring fire. It's all spelled out the, uh, Y O U 
Uh, I'm on Dribble, Behance, all the all the good stuff. I have the same username pretty much everywhere. And then youtube.com. Yeah, I was gonna say, make sure you check out his website. It's just an awesome setup of how a portfolio should look. Everything, the user experience, it's fantastic. So well done on that. I know you put a lot of time into that shit, so I, I want did, people to go yeah. check it out. So hopefully <laughs> that gets you some people that way. Man, thank you so much for just opening up, being transparent and graphic and sharing pricing. Everything above it is sincerely appreciated. I'm glad we were finally able to make this happen. We all appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. It's been a pleasure, honestly. PC family, Scott Beersack, a.k.a. You Bring Fire. Scott has an amazing story to go along with his insane work. I highly encourage you to follow him on social media, online, wherever, and drool over his work like I constantly do. And you know the drill. If anything Scott said today made an impact on you, please go show him some love and connect with him all across his platforms. You bring fire and make sure you spread the word by sharing this episode on Instagram stories and make sure to tag us so we can show you some love back. Thanks again, Scott. I appreciate you. And I realize with today's episode, we're talking about some controversial topics like law of attraction and the power of asking the universe for things you want in life, while at the same time backing it up with action and hard work. However, this is the Perspective Podcast for a reason. You can have all the skills in the world, but if you're not mentally sharp and operate from a place of lack, you can seriously stunt your growth and block opportunities that you can manifest for yourself right now. Okay, you could change your situation. You have so much fucking potential and I'm trying to open your eyes and make you see that for yourself. It's not enough for people like me to believe in you and the good things coming your way, but it starts with believing in yourself first. If things aren't changing in your life and you're stuck in the same mundane routine, what can it hurt to shake things up and set aside your skepticism and operate through a different lens? If it's not for you, then it's not for you. But the pros far outweigh the cons of giving it a shot. When you change your perspective, your perspective will change. All right, if you're digging what you hear today and this show has made any type of impact on your creative grind or your life, there are a few ways you can give back and support the show. First off is by Patreon. You can financially support the show by backing the podcast over at patreon.com slash perspective podcast like my friends Fred and Chanel did over at Iron Bean Coffee Company. Next, Subscribe, rating, and leaving a review. Subscribing an Apple podcast along with leaving a rating and review not only helps the show climb up the charts in the design category, but most importantly, it lets me return the love by giving you a shout out as the listener of the week. And your name also will get mentioned in the show notes and the newsletter. And just so you know, I'm going to keep plugging it. I'm able to read those international reviews now too, so don't be shy and don't hold back. Today, the listener of the week goes to Mircevelli, and it's titled Forever Hungry. They state, I first heard of Scotty when he interviewed one of my favorite illustrators on Instagram, Michael Fugoso, aka Fugs Crater. That episode has been a hot one. Fugs, you're the man if you're listening. I instantly subscribe to his podcast and listen to them when I need that extra motivation. I can relate to his struggles because I too couldn't find a job outside of design school and still haven't, but I'm creating my own path to success by designing and developing mobile games alongside my brother. I'm glad I found this amazing podcast. And again, thank you, Scotty. Miguel Sanchez. Miguel, I appreciate you taking the time to leave a review and opening up like that. And 
I hope you feel the love that I'm sharing right back at you. You got this, my friend. And as I wrap things up, I want to give a huge thanks to my podcast editor, Anya Brennan, and executive assistant, Paige Garland. I could not do this without you two ladies. Thank you so much. And a huge thanks goes out to Nick Jenkins of Bluka for all the dope theme music you hear on the show. Listen and support him at SoundCloud, Spotify, and Instagram at Bluka. That's B-L-O-O-K-A-H. And as you finish off your week strong, I want to encourage you to keep showing up, keep putting in the work, and keep creating. You got this.